بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن والاه. All right. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Okay, so uh, everybody can hear me definitely, 100%. Everybody's cool. Yes, you guys here. Right. Alhamdulillah. All right, then everybody online. Um, I'll give you a better view of what's behind me afterwards. But Alhamdulillah, we are at the Dome of the Rock, Qubbatu Sakhra. We are in Al-Aqsa, Alhamdulillah, Bifadlillah Azza wa Jalla. And we said last week we hope to be able to give the lesson from here, and we have been successful at that. And there are many things to thank Allah Subhanahu wa Taala for for gathering so many of us uh, together. There's about 100 people here. To the left and right, I'll show you those folks. We're facing uh, Masjid Al-Qibli. We are in the direction of the Qibla. Behind us is the Dome of the Rock. And we are all sitting and learning the Deen of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala for His sake. And uh, first and foremost, and then secondly, because we have still maintained our Sunnah. And we have chocolate supplies here, even in Aqsa. They, they come to us. We have, we have, MashaAllah, quality street this time. I want you to, Allahu Akbar. Oh my goodness. Uh, no, 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 it's not shared. You've got to understand what happens with these. All right. <laughs> they know online they're used to it. Alright, pass it on. Pass it around, right guys? Go on, catch. Have you bro? Alright. Honestly, these sweets are so nice, man. Huh? <laughs> these sweets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The ones you got in this old city. Alright. They're used to it. They don't want to wait 10 minutes. <laughs> Today's done. 15 minutes last week. Today, two minutes. Alright. So. <laughs> I think we're done. Alright. Wait. Okay, we're done. No, oh, shut up, man. Right, now I'm done. All right, listen, so uh, for those folks who don't know where we are, we're in the chapter of the prayer. We are still covering comparative fiqh, but based upon the Hanbali text. We are specifically in the chapter of the description of the prayer. We are specifically in the tashahud, technically speaking, which is the sitting position of the prayer. We've done at tahiyyat we've done Allahumma salli Muhammad. We are now in the dua section, and we are at the end of the dua section. Last week, we finished the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu when he asked the believers in the Salah to make uh, uh, to, to seek refuge specifically from four things. Uh, the text, I don't have the uh, text in front of me, but I will translate the Aniwat directly. The Prophet ﷺ said that when you are in Salah, then say, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika. Um, this is the hadith, but let me tell you what the, the author is saying. وَيَسْتَعِيذُ مِنْ عَذَابِ جَهَنَّمْ وَمِنْ عَذَابِ الْقَبَرِ وَمِنْ عَذَابِ فِتْنَةِ الْمَحْيَةِ وَالْمَمَاتِ وَمِنْ عَذَابِ شَرِّ فِتْنَةِ الْمَسِيحِ الدَّجَّالِ 
okay? So he should, in his dua, seek refuge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the punishment of, um, what did I say? Adab al-Qabr, Adab al-Jahannam, the Adab al-Qabr, the Adab of the fitna of the uh, life, everything that happens in life which is a fitna and everything which happens uh, uh, as part of death and post-death as a fitna. And then specifically last week we completed the section on Al-Masih al-Dajjal, the fourth of the four things, great in its own right. It falls into the category of life because it comes in during life. It causes death and it will lead people to kufr at death يعني, if they die upon that. So it's also a portion of death as well. And it gets its own category because it's so huge. So we completely did everything about the Masih al-Dajjal that, that is required to do. But ironically, we can add to that. We can add to that because we are in the one place which I didn't mention last week, which is protected from al-Masih al-Dajjal. And that is al-Masjid al-Aqsa. And we are in al-Masjid al-Aqsa. Now, we've been having this discussion over the last few days here with you folks. And those folks online, they've seen this from last year as well when I came here before. That Aqsa, um, politically, is called the Aqsa Complex, which is this large, wide area. I don't know how many square miles it works out to or square kilometers. In it, it has Masjid al-Qibli, which is the main mosque that people call Al-Aqsa Mosque at the front. We have the Dome of the Rock behind us. We have these small little areas. For example, we went to Baba Rahma Mosque on the left-hand side. We saw the Al-Burak Mosque as well. These are names which have been added later. These are not original mosques. Just like there was nothing here at the time of the Prophet There was nothing here at the time of Umar when he came to liberate it. Now, one of the things that Abir was not able to spend some time on was the actual story behind Ka'ab. Behind Ka'ab ibn Ahbar and why it is that he uh, said what he said. So let's remind ourselves when the when uh, 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 Sham was about to be conquered, the Christians at that time realized, you know, that the game is up. But if the game is going to be up, then we're not going to sell ourselves short and just give it to you, Yani armed commanders. We will pass over these keys without any necessary bloodshed or anything, Yani worse. But we want your Amir al-Mu'minin to come. We heard good things about him and it also we deserve this honor as well. We are giving over a city which has changed hands between Muslims and Christians and their top people all throughout history. So we want to carry that on. And so it, it was written to Umar ibn Khattab that he would do that. And so when he received this, I think it was Abu Ubaidah ibn Jarrah yani, who wrote that letter and actually requested this specifically. Umar didn't necessarily want to come. He has to look after Medina. SubhanAllah, who did he leave over Medina? I think it was Ali radiallahu anhu. Yeah. He left Ali ibn Abi Talib as the Amir of Medina, which itself is important. Yani, because this, this, you know, when, you, when you are having discussions with the Shia, they, you know, Normally we can have discussions with people who disagree with us with so much any common sense and evidence but you'll find that these people they will go against what they believe themselves like the actions of Ali radiallahu and towards the senior companions and what they did with their own children and the marriages thereafter whereas the modern day Shia they just say let's just curse Umar like yani, where are you even getting this from? But anyway Ali radiallahu looked after Medina and Umar bin Khattab sets off and he sets off in a small group of people obviously he's the Amir Mu'minin he has to have some kind of safety but in this small group in this military unit, of course, he's not Yani, you know, so naive. He has one servant and one a mule. And Omar, you know how he is. He's not a big kind of, you know, he's not a show off. He's a, I mean, he's a, he's a big guy. He's huge stature. He's, you know, he's everything in that sense. But, you know, he's a humble kind of guy. And, 
you know, subhanAllah, uh, uh, I, I tend to find that people who have already tasted the dunya and hit its heights are the ones who hate it the most afterwards when they start practicing. Right? They really can't understand what is it that you are actually after. And he was the king of these people. I mean, not technically, but he owned everything. He was super strong, super warrior. He was an alpha male at every level. Right? Radiallahu ta'ala anhu wa arda. And so, you know, he doesn't like all this pompousness, you know, that he's, you know, he has to kind of be treated with. Uh, that I'll be, I'll be pulled by you. Uh, the, the servant will pull him. And what, so he would actually, along the way, all the way to, Damas, to, 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 to Palestine, he would go on and off the donkey. He would have equal share with his servant. And he would even pull the donkey of his servant. And this is uh, authentically narrated, not in the hadith, of course, but in the book's history. Ibn Khaldun is the one who goes into the most detail. Now, correct, that's certainly not a hadith source. Ibn Khaldun is a tertiary source history book, right? And, but, it's, but it is from all of the accounts that we have, the early accounts, this is authentic. And they come close, whatever, and uh, Abu Ubaid ibn Jarrah, yani when he sees and hears that they're close and he comes out, he actually gets really upset. He actually gets really upset. Not at the tawadu and the humility of Umar ibn Khattab, but uh, are you kidding me? You're selling us a short, this is a major moment here. Their main leaders are here, their big rulers are all here, and you're coming and your clothes are all dirty and you're looking like this and whatever. We don't need your humility now. We need your statesman kind of, you know, we need you to show us and, you know, who we are. We've just conquered all of this land, Yanusham, we've opened it, it's a big moment for us. And you're coming on a donkey and you're now walking in the mud and whatever, whatnot. And then that's when Umar said his statement. We used to be kunna adillah. We were the most humiliated of the people. Islam. We became honored only by Islam. The moment that we seek honor and power through people and what they yani, see as powerful and honorable will be returned back to humiliation. So if these people are going to be impressed by me coming in on a camel and being carried and being, being wearing silk and all the rest of it, then you know what? I'm happy that I'm not doing what they want. So he ignored that advice, went in and you know, he's the, 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 even the leaders are struck by his humility and, and, and we then know what happened. We know that he asked Kaab because we know that the Muslims have been praying to the Sakhar, Sakhar meaning the rock, meaning the Qibla of the Jews, which is what it was, all throughout Medina, where the Prophet was praying, all the way until the Qibla was changed, right? Then only he moves towards Mecca or the Kaaba. In that moment, when he's asked for where the, the rock is, now obviously you see that, the big dome and you know, and everything. At that time, this was all a wasteland. It was an entire wasteland. And I want you to know that the reason it was a wasteland is because the Christians ruled the show. And the Christians ruling the show, they absolutely detested the Jews. They were not going to give them any rights, any protection, any honor. And they intentionally disfigured the rock. They know that's their most holiest part. It's called the holiest of the holies. They consider this rock to be yani, the center of the universe and floating and all this kind of stuff. And just so, so important that they can't even go there, right? And what did the Christians do? They turned it into a rubbish dump. So they made sure that everybody dumped their rubbish on it. So Kaab, he said that I know where it is. So Umar said, show it to me. And he took him there. And when he said, this is where it is, no one could believe him because it is just a rubbish dump. So Umar then got on the floor. This is Sahih, by the way. Everybody hears this story as a legend, but it is actually authentic. And he started to clean it with his own hands. 
and then he started to gather the rubbish was too much so he'd gather it in his qameez like this and then he'd take it out and then the companions had got embarrassed like you know what's he doing okay we might as well jump in so all of them then started doing that until they uncovered the area of the rock and now it becomes clear what the original qibla is at that time there Umar and this is the interesting part never mentioned that show me to the place where the mi'raj of the Prophet ﷺ happened okay which has obviously happened before then right because this is after the death of the Prophet ﷺ. so we don't have an actual Islamic status for this rock other than that it was our first qibla out of respect for that and respect for the Jews respecting it and then he asked Kaab where can we establish the prayer where do you think is a good idea now you lot sitting here can work this out easily those people who are at home might not be able to understand this. If you're looking at me right now, that's the direction of the Qibla in front of me. And so Ka'ab said, well, we're good if you basically put the mosque yani, behind and then we're, we're in, and that's the direction of the Qibla. So he's right, but he's also, you know what I mean? He's basically putting it behind the rock. So you pray towards the rock, towards the Qibla. Two for the price of one, right? And obviously, yani, Umar was straight on to that. He goes, yani, you son of a Yahudiya, all right? Right, you got that Yahudiya still in you. And he was, of course, a converted rabbi. Ka'ab ibn Ahbar was. So he goes, Yani, get out of it. And so what he did is that he put the masjid in front. And that's why it's called Masjid Qibli, because it's in the direction of the Qibla in front. Yeah? Um, Umar, by making the, or, or establishing the Musalla there, the place to pray, or a masjid, we should say, does not specify the reward or the location of, of Al-Aqsa. Umar does not have the right to do that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, ta is the one. That Masjid al-Aqsa and his surrounding areas has been blessed by him. The ajr is written from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for whoever prays in this entire area, in this entire complex. Even if they pray in the dome in the rock, even if they pray in the behind parts, there's no doubt. And this is what maybe Abir could have added, but this is more of a fiqh argument. If people would say, where is the best place to pray? We answer this by saying there is a dini argument and a political argument. If you're going by Dini, then you've got to use Quranic uh, and Sunnah evidences. The first evidence is all oh, this is a blessed place. Okay, that's fine. What about that place? Yes, it's that place there. Why? Because the majority of the Muslims pray there. The larger the Jama'ah, the more organized the formality of the prayer, that is where the more Ajr is. But if we're looking at the answer from a political point of view, meaning that sometimes there is a correct answer, and that is the correct answer, but another time, and we might be the people who answer that from our books, Yani back home. But if you're here and you realize and you come here and the Palestinians tell you that if we keep praying in that mosque and don't allow anyone to pray in that mosque and don't allow any presence in that one and don't allow presence in that one, then these are the ones that they start taking from you first. These are the ones that they justify then, well, the Muslims aren't even using it anyway. And, you know, they'll use all the kind of tricks and then, you know, lo and behold, it's gone. And so when the Palestinian scholars tell you that, no, we consider that you get more reward or equal reward praying, we listen to them and we accept that statement, even though we believe the opposite. Even though we believe that is the more correct position, that's closer to maybe even evidences wise, it might be closer to where we think the Prophet ﷺ was, even though, as I said, that can't be established. So this is also a good example when you're studying fiqh, that you ask the people of the locality that ilm, is a generic yani, reality, but fatwa should be reserved for the people of that location. They understand their people best. This, yani, we would understand, for example, Islamic finance. Yani, if, someone, if you want a fatwa on student loans, we don't need yani, a scholar from Saudi Arabia who every single system is doing better taqseed, yani, payment in installments with no single interest, telling yani, what the UK folks or the American folks yani, should do with respect to their finances. 
he would be right from a straight down the road kind of you know, Islamic ruling, but when it comes to understanding situation application, it's something different. So it's important. So if we, and there's no one who understands that better than the Western minorities. We're like, you know, doing, using that all the time. So we should show respect when we come to the, the, the Ardal Muqaddasa. And, and as you heard today, we have people who literally sacrifice their whole lives. And I don't just mean dying, but their whole lives guarding this masjid and this area. And that guarding does not have to be with a gun or whatever. It's just being in a certain place at a certain time on a regular basis. That's the resistance. That's what we learn when we come to these kind of lands, that people resist. And the spirit of resistance of the Muslims of this land is the greatest of all resistance. It's the greatest. They are tested every single day, not physically, not just emotionally, but financially. You've all heard firsthand, and if the people online don't know, then the little houses that they live in, which you could probably pick up for 50, 60 grand back in the UK in terms of square footage, they get offered between 10 to 20 million dollars to sell. So that the Jews can then have, or the Israelis I should say, can have then a foothold and start to expand from deep, deep within the old city in the Muslim quarter. And it's a very destructive process when, when treachery and all the like allows one small house or one small area to open up. Okay, and so that's why they, uh, and you heard words which were very, very harsh, right? What did, they, what did you, you heard them say? If we found out that they were involved in the sale or the attempted sale of any kind of property, we do not allow them to be entering into this. If they die, we don't pray over them. We don't allow them to be buried in our graveyards. Yeah. That's the kind of things that, you know, Sheikh Bin Baz used to say about the people don't pray. He used to be, you know, the Hanbalis, some of them are very strict on the issue of the Salah when it comes to those who don't pray. They say it's outright kufr. And they're not going to just stop there by just that kind of statement. They're going to say, not only is it outright kufr, but if he is to die, we're not going to wash him, we're not going to bury him, we're going to throw his body into the mountains. These are all emotional statements that follow. We want the legal statement. The legal statement is that you don't consider him Muslim. They add the emotional one because every Paki yani, wants to be buried yani, in a graveyard. However, you're practicing or not practicing, you're always expecting at least to be buried. So when someone chucks in, you're going to be thrown in the, in the mountains like an animal. Actually, not even like an animal. Even yani, the Quran teaches us yani, that the whole concept of, of burial came from the animals, from the birds, from the crows. So uh, that point is important. Anyway, so we don't restrict the excellence of Al-Aqsa. And Al-Aqsa is one of the places which the, in the hadith of, I think Ibn Hibban, the Prophet ﷺ said that the Dajjal will not be able to enter. And when Isa ﷺ descends at the end of time in Damascus, he will come to here for the ultimate showdown. And the hadith states that there will be a jama'ah praying and that's the prayer with the Mahdi and Isa and the Muslims are there praying and Dajjal and his soldiers, the army, they will be waiting but can't enter. Now, the way that it's worded, it does feel like a building, but it doesn't, I mean, we ourselves know about the gates and the boundaries and so it could be one of the gates or it could be the boundaries, but they can't come in. Now. That's a proof that the Israelis are not Dajjal or Dajjal's uh, soldiers because they're going through Aqsa day and night, isn't it? Going through the complex, we see them, they're inside the masjid yani, all the time, so they're not Dajjal. You know, people saying Dajjalic system is here and the Dajjal movement is in play or whatever. The hadiths don't add up. He can't come in. He's not allowed to enter. It's not possible for him to enter. He's not expecting what happens next. Isa comes out to confront him and he starts to dissolve. And as he's dissolving and he's watching himself dissolve, he flees. And on the way here from Tel Aviv, we went past the city of Lud. 
And the Nabi ﷺ said that as he flees towards the direction of Al-Lud, so I don't know, 30 miles, 40 miles, 20 miles, I don't know the exact thing. But it's definitely under 30, 40 miles from here. And it could be a lot closer, I could be well out. In between Al-Lud and Al-Ramla, Isa and, uh, and the Muslims will catch up with Dajjal and he will slay him at Al-Lud, Bab Al-Lud. And that's a well-known neighborhood, well-known area, so we know exactly where it's going to happen. You will see, for example, the various trees that, uh, that uh, inform the Muslims of who is behind them and who is hiding and so on and so forth. I think the Palestinians call theirs Jammayuz or something like that. In the hadith, it's Al-Shismo. Not Al-Gharqad, what is it? I forgot, the, I forgot, I for, I forgot yani, the, the, the phrase in the hadith. But the Palestinians have a different name for it. Or maybe it is even Hebrew, Jammayuz or whatever. So, you know, we talk about traveling and how important it is for our deen to actually come to a place we know that the Dajjal can't come into, to actually know that the, the, the havoc, as we learned from last week's lesson, that Dajjal is going to have on, on the planet, on the Ummah, and to know that he's going to be killed from just around the corner here, that's a buzz. That's a buzz, isn't it? And especially when you look and you think of the situation we're in and there's nothing that looks like a buzz at all, right? And it's amazing. And that, that's a reminder to us that, you know what it is? If we're going to be lame, then Allah is just going to push us right out of the way. There will be a people that will be raised by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to take on this responsibility. If we're not going to fix ourselves up to be those people, then, you know, Allah will give it to someone else. Right. So the next statement then is the Prophet ﷺ said that you seek a refuge with Allah from these four. The author then said, after that, bima warad. So after he seeks refuge of Allah from these four things, he then calls upon Allah, he makes dua bima warad with that which is narrated. What does he mean? So we are now at that last moment of the prayer before Taslim. So before we say Assalamu Alaikum Rahmatullah, yeah, before we exit that prayer, in that last moment after we finish Allahumma Salli Ala Muhammad, Allahumma Arik Ala Muhammad, Innaka Hamidun Majeed, we've now jumped straight into the most important dua, Allahumma Inni Aoudhu Bikun Jahannam, Aoudhu Bikun Jahannam, Aoudhu Bikun Jahannam, Aoudhu Bikun Jahannam, and then Allahumma Inni Aoudhu Bikun Jahannam, Aoudhu Bikun Jahannam, we've now finished all of these four. Now what do you do? Packs are like, Rabbana Atina Fidunia, yes? Packs are like, Rabbi Jal Mukimah Salatu Mizuriyati, yes? Well, we wish the packs were upon that. No, that's a guji, yani the, yeah, gujis don't mess about, they're straight into Allahumma inni zulam to nafsi, but there's a change, yani packs are learning, yeah, how many, how many packs got taught when they were young, Allahumma inni zulam to nafsi zulman kathira, now you're Bengali, you can't even put your hand up, Bengalis are on a different level, put your hands down, packs, when you were a kid, when you were a kid, you were taught, Allahumma inni zulamtu nafsi zulman kathira as a child. Ajib. <laughs> One pack. All right. Actually, um, you too, yeah? All right. No, no, that's what I'm trying to say. The, oh, you mean the goodies mean? Yeah, goodies. No, no. And, 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 and I was like, where do you get that one from? No, no. And so the question is, where do they get it from? That's exactly the point. Where does Rabbana Atina come from? Where does Rabbi Ja'alni come from? What is the theory? What's the idea? The author says, So he should then make dua, he she should make dua with that which is narrated. Let's see what uh, Shaykh al says. 
He goes, uh, this is uh, for those who are following the text, it's in the middle of page 200. He goes, later Mu'allif qal, he goes, I wish that the, the author had instead written, ahab, That he should make dua with that which he wants to. With that which he really wants to, desires, wishes. Okay? I wish that, that's what Uthameen says, I hope and I wish that the author had said that instead and not just with that which is narrated. Which is actually a strange statement, right? Because you would have thought that as a scholar, he's going to be saying go for authenticity first as opposed to whatever you want. In actual fact, that's not what Sheikh Uthameen means. He doesn't say, you know, just go off on one. But he wants to be more accurate. Why does he say that? Why did Sheikh Uthameen say that? The reason he said that is because in the hadith of Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu, in the hadith of the tashahud, the Prophet sallallahu said to uh, Ibn Mas'ud, Then let him choose from whatever dua he wants. Let him choose from whatever dua that he wants. This whatever is a phrase which means any dua. So when the Imam or when the author of this fiqh text says yani, that which is narrated, he's actually restricting things, right? Whereas Shaykh Uthameen says the Prophet ﷺ opened it up massively. He goes, let him make any dua that he wants, right? So how do we, how do we understand it? What's the way to combine this, uh, uh, everything? Shaykh Uthameen goes, he goes, maybe what we can say is that what the author was trying to say is that he should at least start with that which is narrated in the sunnah. And then after that, he gives it whatever he wants. Then it's like open season. Like I mentioned before in the chapter of Sajda. Sajda is the most open time of the prayer. In the whole salah, you've got this yani, moment where dua is like, go and you know, smash it as much as you can, whatever you want. Even we are flexible and say, if you can't say Arabic, then say in order to say in English, but really connect with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and ask for whatever we want. Now we're saying that the second most open part of the prayer is here, just before the taslim. Do we have the guts to say in English? I don't, okay, I'm not going to be that guy, there will be someone who will come along and say, you know what, you can knock out an English one there as well, alright, but it won't be me, so I'm just saying, stick to the Arabic, and that's why I like this, what Sheikh Uthameen said, let's first maybe start with that which is narrated, and then we'll start asking, but is that correct, does that fit actually the hadith on the matter, this is a very interesting discussion, look at what is going to be said, um, so he says, he says, Sheikh Uthameen says, he goes, the reason why I like the idea that you start with that which is narrated first before you now ask for what you want, he goes, is because there's absolutely no doubt whatsoever that there's going to be more ajr for a dua that the Prophet ﷺ said than a dua that you make up. Even though both are allowed, even though both are accepted, even though both are liked, but there's a difference in ajr, there's a difference in reward. Does that make sense? Yeah? And so he says, so for example, if a person said, Allahumma, if a person was to say that, then not only does he make a nice dua, but he's actually using a dua which has been narrated. So he goes, this is a kind of thing that you'd give priority to. Okay? This was a, a dua that the Prophet ﷺ commanded Mu'adh ibn Jabal an to make. And you know what he said to him? Yani, amara Mu'adh ibn Jabal an bihi dubura kulla salah maktuba at the back end of every obligatory prayer, okay? In other versions of this hadith, he said, and make this dua in every prayer. We're glad for that other version because it helps us in trying to work out a perennial problem that the Muslims have had. What does the word dubur mean in the Sharia? 
In the Arabic, we know it means back. We know it means backside. We know that it means the tail. We know it means the end. We, mean, we know it means the aftermath. Dubr means all of these. Now, here's the problem. If we are not able to accurately assess what Dubr means in these hadith, how many people put your hands up, say, Allahumma a'inni ala dhikrika wa shukrik in their prayer? Out of a hundred people, I would say nine people have got their hands up. How many people put, say, Allahumma a'inni ala dhikrika wa shukrik after salah? About double. Okay, so about 20 people. So you see, we've got two different approaches. The wording is one. It says at the back end. You can see that the back end could be understood as after salam or it could be before salam. And this is something that we need to now take apart. We need to understand what it is, how to understand these hadith, and then where, and then where to place the various narrations that we have. Um, so Sheikh Uthameen says that the way to understand it, if we have two narrations, the first one says at the back end, which we'll say for the sake of argument means after. And then we have in every salah, which is the other version of this narration. The way to reconcile them is to put it in at the back end. Would you agree? Because if I say, if I say to you, Mu'adh, make sure that you make this dua in every salah. That could be in every sajda, couldn't it? If I say in every salah, that's what I'm saying. Then it means in the beginning, it could be in the middle, it could be mean anywhere. Then I say at the back end, i.e. to indicate afterwards. If we combine both of them, then we could say that this means in the salah at the very, very back end before you give the salam. And that is how a number of the scholars combined between this. He also makes a very interesting point. He goes, another way of looking at it is if we put it after salah, what is the after salah time? It is called what time? What do you do in that time? Dhikr time. It is dhikr time. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah An-Nisa, فَإِذَا قَضَيْتُمُ الصَّلَاةَ فَاذْكُرُ اللَّهِ And once you have completed the prayer, then make dhikr of Allah. Once you have completed the prayer, make dhikr of Allah. Think about that. And so therefore, the Qur'an is telling us that once the prayer is finished, there is a time for dhikr. Allahumma a'inni ala dhikrika wa shukrik. Is that dhikr or is that dua? It is dua. Now, we can be semantic and say every dua is a form of dhikr. Why? Because dhikr, as we said before, right, is a three-stage process. It's a perception of something. It's a reflection upon what you've just perceived. And then you express what you've just reflected upon. For example, I use this example all the time. It's an easy one. I look in front of me, I see a whole lot of people, right? That's my perception. I could quite rightly just ignore that there's people in front of me and it means nothing. But I look at it, I'm thinking, wow, there's a hundred people in front of me. The second stage is like, which is the reflection part, is that, man, I must be an awesome speaker. That's a possible reflection. The second possible reflection is that look, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala used me, miskin me who knows nothing, in front of all these people, getting the ajr yani of teaching these people something, and it didn't come in any way from me whatsoever, and everybody knows that, and I know that more than anybody else. That's a better reflection, isn't it? It's a better reflection. It's a more wholesome reflection. And then, to stamp home that authentic reflection, I say, Alhamdulillah. Or I say, Masha Allah, la quwwata illa billah. I attribute it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
That's the dhikr which is the back end, that's the consequence, it's a statement. It comes after the three-stage process, perception, reflection and an expression. So every statement that you make where you want to praise Allah in, in response to something is a dhikr. So for example, if I see a person who's got, I don't know, an incredible car, for example, you know, or a great voice in recitation, and I look at that and I think to myself, subhanAllah, that's amazing. And then I, and then I say, Allahumma zidhu wa barik wa Allahumma zidna wa barik. Allah increase him in that, or Allah increase me in that as well. I made a dua, but it was done in the form of dhikr. You get what I'm trying to say? Dua is a subset of dhikr. So let's not get into that, that semantic discussion. The question that he's asking is, yani, when it's a dua, it's a separate form of dhikr entirely. It's a separate yani, form of worship entirely. And dhikr is as well. The style of the Quran and Sunnah makes it clear that the adhkar should be focused on the outside after the prayer, and the dua should be focused on the inside, within the prayer. And if you understand this, then it actually makes more sense that Allahumma a'inni ala dhikrika wa shukrik, even though it is permissible to use afterwards, really its home is inside the prayer. Its home is inside the prayer. Ibn Taymiyyah was asked, he said, how can it be at the, uh, how can these kind of dua be restricted to the end of the prayer, okay, or within the back end of the prayer when the word dubur means the outside back end. The word dubur, for example, is the tail. It is yani, outside of the main body. And he said that it is part of that body. It is yani, at the back end, but it's still part. You don't say the tail is a separate creation. It's still part of that same body. So the word dubur does not necessarily automatically mean something which is outside. And also, we look at the other dua, uh, the other hadith. The hadith just now that we stated, the Prophet ﷺ said, let him then choose whatever he wishes to make dua, and here's a dua. So this is being said for the tashahud. So why wouldn't you put two and two together and say, any then dua should then fit in the tashahud, and let's keep the dhikr outside. So this is yani, an argument, to be honest, which fits all the hadith on the matter, makes yani, the most sense, and I'm, this, is my, this is my position, it's the class position as well And it's the position of the majority of scholars It's the position of the majority of scholars This is what the hadith of Ibn Mas'ud indicates So for example, Taymur is asking What about hadith about the dhikr yani In terms of indicating when that might be Or when it might not be So for example, we have a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ Where he said Tusabbihuna wa tahmudu Make tasbih, make tahmeed, and make tak takbir. Say, subhanAllah, alhamdulillah, Allahu Akbar, at the end of every prayer 33 times. Hmm? Yeah, so it's the same word, right? So we've got the back end. How do we now determine that this is something which is in the prayer or outside of the prayer? And the answer to that is via context. Because the word dubur is clear, it can actually mean within. And it can now mean also after. Is there another hadith that says that suggests that the word dubur means after? Yes, very interesting hadith. The Prophet, uh, for example, in one hadith, he said, uh, um, What about a person who sets a condition in his will 
that I want my servant to be freed. Yani anduburin. Anduburin, translated literally, means at the back end. There's a consensus of the scholars that actually it means after his death. Right? So we have a consensus of the scholars that the word dubur does actually mean after. So now we have two scenarios. We have the word used clearly to mean after, and we have the word clearly to mean at the back end within the same body. So the question should be asked, how do we then determine which is the right one? And the answer to that is entirely based upon context. Uh, what we call qara'in, supplementary evidences. If the supplementary evidences indicate that the word itself is at the back end of the same body, then that's what we use. And if the word indicates that it's afterwards, then that's what we use. So we have dubur for Allahumma a'inni ala dhikrika wa shukrik. Where are we going to put it? We're going to put it inside the prayer. Why? Because it's a dua. The Prophet said, make any dua that you want, keep it inside the prayer. Okay? We have the hadith of the tasbih. It says dubr. Where are we going to put it? We're going to put it after the prayer. Why? Because it's dhikr. Why? Because when Allah said that when you have yani, finished the prayer, fadhkurullah. So the dhikr goes outside. Another evidence. We know that the companions, sit, you sit there following the Prophet ﷺ, making dhikr with their hands. It has never been narrated that this tasbih and tahmeed and so on has ever happened in the prayer with the hands. It'd be a madness if you're sitting there in salah doing this, isn't it? Yeah? And so it's clear from the supplementary evidences, not just the single word dubur, that it belongs at the, uh, after the prayer. How long are they going to pray afterwards? 10 minutes. 10 minutes? Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. I, I think we have to call it. Yes. You ask a question? Or oh, maybe after the Adhan. Maybe after the Adhan. Let's show these people yani, what they are missing out. May Allah bring them. Allahumma ameen. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. So these are the people who are sitting there enjoying themselves. Give them a wave at least. There we go. So this is Masjid Al Qibli right there in front, which is known colloquially. So that's his Masjid Al Qibli, which is known as Masjid Al Aqsa. And that is. Known as the Dome of the Rock. That has the rock which is considered to be the place of the Mi'raj of the Prophet. Remember guys, yeah, to always repeat after the Mu'adhin, yeah? Every time that he says something, you repeat it, except this what he just said. Here you say, La hawla wa la illa billah. Very important when you're here in this kind of trip, when you're being exposed to the Adhan, that you practice the Sunnah of the Adhan. Akhwan, very few people doing it. Very few people. So, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, we repeat. Ashadu Allah, 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 Allah,
نشهد ان محمد رسول الله وي اوسو ريبيت بو وي اوسو سي رديت بالله رب محمد رسول الله بالاسلام دينا دان وني سيد حي الى الصلاه وي دونت ريبيت وي دنت سي لا حول ولا قوه الا بالله لا حول ولا قوه الا بالله لا حول ولا قوه الا بالله What are you doing? Like, oh, then just straighten out. You get rid, get, get rid of this. Put it straight. Get rid of that leg. Get rid of this leg. Like that. That's how you get rid of cramp. Okay, it's good. It's good. It's good. Oh, I started to pull you up. Used to sit on the floor. Get out, doctor. Sir, help this guy out. حجزنا وادس لا حول ولا قوه الا بالله لا اله الا الله اللهم صل على محمد وعلى محمد كما صليت على ابراهيم وعلى ال وبارك على محمد وعلى محمد اللهم رب Right, folks, uh, we'll take one or two quick questions and then we'll get ready for Salah. Okay, first question, Sulaiman. The orphan, I think we just get pokes of Tisha, then the root, and then along with the other. Yes. Yes. Then you do be my warrant. Give me just one second, he's just in the middle of his question. Gone, yeah. Yes. Yes. Why is the author specified that? Because yeah. So the question is, is that why when he said let him choose any du'a that is narrated, why did he say that? Because he's already told us to make the du'a for those four. Because the Prophet specifically in the most authentic hadith that we have in the chapter has stated, you already say that. So that, so that, so that not necessarily, higher, higher yeah, higher level, but as you just said, not indicating that he's got to start with that. Okay, but so because, yeah, could, yeah, correct. You could, uh, in actual fact, let me make it clear there is no requirement to make any dua after Allahumma Salaam Muhammad. According to the vast majority of scholars, the va I don't know any of the madahib. Or not, obviously none of the madahib make it, but I mean, I don't even know any of the imams within the madahib. Okay, there's no doubt. And the evidence for it is the hadith. Then let him choose what he wants. Okay, I don't want to. When you once, once you give a choice to someone, you can't then punish him for saying, I don't want to. You know what I'm saying? So uh, the, the position is that it's sunnah to make dua. I'm talking about the four. That, because the Prophet <coughs> made that area. Yani the hadith of tashahud. In the hadith of Tashahud, the Prophet did not say, Say Allahumma Salaam Muhammad, then say this. He said, Say Allahumma Salaam Muhammad, then let him make any dua. And another hadith is when he said, Seek refuge from. So that's from this category. That was my question. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. 
All, all permissible, all allowed. Because I know you're never going to sit in an LP lesson ever again, so let me just tell you. Yeah? So, so let, me, let me tell you. You have been. <laughs> let me tell you. Just so that you don't you're under stress for the rest of your life, yeah? You're good for the Bengali duas that you're using, yeah? <laughs> He's not Bengali, by the way. But we're giving him the Bengali category. Alright, folks? Alright, are we done? Jazakumullah khair, subhanakallahumma bihamdik. Ashhadu an la ilaha ant. Wa astaghfiruk wa atubu ilayk. Yes. Yeah, no, they're just kind of saying as a reminder, but we should say Allahumma salli, and then after that, we then make dua. Arakallahu peek. All right. Roll, look, I don't know how we stop this, but anyway, we Allah. Is that one? Oh my God, what have you done? No. Oh, sugar, how do you don't? We can't, we can't, we can't, you need to delete this. keep it live until we get home. All right, hold on, how do we do this? Wait, wait, no, 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 Shaz told me, oh my goodness. Wait, that one. Now, I'm sure that you press this. Bismillah, Allah. Okay. Brothers and sisters, <laughs> if this, yeah, no, no, there's not, that isn't, that's why I thought it's comment. That's comment, yeah. It's comment. All right. Scroll up. Okay. No, I'm not scrolling up. No, no, the, the three dots. No, 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 it's not. It's not. It it's, 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 it's not. It's that. It's that. It's that. Allah! Yeah, stop swimming. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. It's done. Yes. The Adhan is different. Whoa, 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 what a heart attack. Clear, lid on that, lid on that. Protect that, protect that, Asulman. Yeah, yeah. Open I'll, it I'll up, bro. It, I'll have it later, yeah, don't worry about it. Damn, damn right, I'll have it later. <laughs> what? You find, you, you know what? You're praying right next to me, bro. This one's persistent. All right. Oh, yeah. Barakalofi.